everybody. Welcome to the next episode of the Female Film Critics Panel. And we're really excited today. I have a great group of female film critics to talk about our experiences. And this is just such a fun series that I really love getting to do. And I'm film critic Rachel Wagner. And today I have with me, Nicole Ackman is here. Hi, everyone. And Daisy Edwards is here. Hello. Yeah, from all the way across the pond. Thank you so much for coming. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Yeah, so what we like to do is start out by just having our guests get a chance to introduce themselves and uh, tell us a little bit about how you became a content creator or a critic. And so, Nicole, why don't you start? Yeah, so I'm Nicole. I'm from North Carolina. I have been, you know, I was one of those kids who was sort of always writing and always watching movies and, and into theater and I got into content creation sort of as a blogger whenever I was in college and had I started a blog for a school project and then kind of kept up with it, did the YouTube thing for a while back, you know, whenever like there was that boom of YouTube whenever I was in college in like the 2010, 2011, 2012. Um, and then onwards from that, I started college in, in 20. 13. So it was sort of in its, in its heyday. So where everyone wanted to be a YouTuber, I think before people realized that that's like a skill <laughs> that not everyone can do. Um, but then from there, whenever I moved to London for grad school, I ended up becoming a writer for Broadway World UK. And I was doing a lot of theater reviews. And uh, just before that, I had joined Next Best Picture as sort of one of the founders of Next Best Theater, which is our theater offshoot podcast. And so Matt Neglia kind of got wind of the fact that I was doing a lot of theater reviewing and was like, okay, like, would you like to, you know, join the, the film team as well and sort of see if that transitions over. And so from there, I got started as a film reviewer and now I write for a handful of outlets. I, I now write for Broadway World in Raleigh, which is really exciting that I've kind of gotten to stay with them. I wrote for them whenever I lived in New York doing like off, off Broadway stuff. And now I'm writing for them in Raleigh, which is really exciting. Uh, obviously, like I do a lot of stuff for Next Best Picture, as everyone will know if they've seen me on Twitter. I write for In Their Own League. I write for FF2 Media. And recently, uh, not that long ago, I started writing for Culture S, which is pretty exciting to sort of get to talk about more just pop culture-y type stuff, TV, not just film, which is really exciting. But yeah, I sort of just got into it from a love of writing and and a love of film and theater. And it sort of has snowballed over the years to a point where sometimes I'm like, oh, right. Like I am a writer now. Like this is what I wanted as a kid. Now I can actually say it. Yeah, I think that we're very similar in a lot of ways because I also, my core is my writing, but then also podcasting has yep. become a passion of mine. And we also both love theater uh, yes. so much, so. <laughs> So Daisy, what about you? Um, yes, yeah, so I'm Daisy, I'm from London. Um, my journey is a bit of a weird one. Um, the same with Nicole, I was um, so big into sort of like all media, film, TV, when I was um, specifically blossomed I, my interest as a teenager, um, did media studies um, for A-level, just sort of like age 17, 18. And um, I got into this program that was more specifically for younger kids, but um, they did have the opportunity uh, for us older kids as well to do sort of premieres and press junkets, webcasts and things like that. Um, it was a cool little initiative to get people into sort of film journalism. Um, so I did a few cool things there, like the amazing Spider-Man 2 junket. So I've met the likes of Emma Stone and Andrew Garfield, as you can imagine as a teenager, that was very overwhelming, but it was a great experience. Um, and from there, I actually um, ended up getting into film PR. And since I've I've expanded my career into more general consumer, um, but I'm really grateful that that opportunity has actually led me into something that I've ended up as my career. Um, I did start doing film production at uni, uh, did that for a little while and then that fell off, but it's all kind of come back together now where, um, where I'm starting to do film production again, but then also getting back into critiquing or reviewing in a way. I used to write for a little publication called Flavor Mag um, back at the beginning of my career when I was interning. Um, so I was reviewing and going to press screenings and doing DVD reviews and features and, and things like that. Um, but I'm sort of doing something a little bit, a bit more off piece now with the podcast that I do with my co-host Claire. 
um, where we watch the world's worst rated films. So it's a little bit different <laughs> compared to, you know, seeing what's coming out and supporting new and emerging filmmakers. I'm sort of going into the depths of film hell and watching what <laughs> a lot of people are deeming to be not worth our time, but it's such an interesting exercise in, in film critique, really. Um, looking at it from a little bit more of a theoretical kind of really in-depth point of view so it's interesting how it's all come together in a very weird way but I'm enjoying it so far so yeah I have uh, listened to your podcast the W rated you, you call it, and you. I was cracking up I think you guys did a great job and oh, I'm, <laughs> yeah, and I, I was gonna ask you how reviewing bad movies has changed your kind of view in in a film Oh, it, it's kind of like just made me so much more open-minded. And I think I was open-minded anyway. I think you have to be to, to even consider doing something like this. <laughs> um, but it's just allowed me to, to kind of really hone in on my perspective, which I've always had, but it's come more to the forefront now of, you know, even if you go into a film um, and you didn't like it, you've had the experience of it and what you and you learn more about what you do and you don't like and maybe why you do and don't like it um whether there was an intention that maybe just didn't click with you or whether it was the fact that you loved the concept but it didn't get executed in a way and I think that's actually really important for me as like being a producer on my film projects as well it's really really um it's just it, it really benefits me in terms of what I appreciate yeah, it just gives me a greater appreciation, I think, because actually I'm finding some really hidden gems of films that, well, I don't know about gems, but uh, <laughs> I've certainly enjoyed them um, for different reasons than perhaps I enjoy the films that I love and put up on a pedestal and say are my absolute favourites. It's interesting how you there's a different time and place for these kind of different experiences, and I think a lot of people... Um, know that through like you know like the cinemas that put on like the cult classics and things like that where people are like well I wouldn't necessarily say it's a great film but I have an absolutely amazing time going to see it with my friends in a cinema experience so mm -hmm. it's more put, bringing more uh, awareness to those kinds of films I think. Yeah I want to have you two on Hallmarkies the other podcasts I do sometime because I've definitely had that experience because uh, they're the they're most of the films that we cover are not respected by most people you know that that they won't even give them a shot they won't even and there are some legitimately terrible Hallmark movies mm -hmm. I'm not saying there's not but there are some really fun ones too and uh, I think that uh, that definitely covering them uh, on my podcast has definitely given me a new respect for the hustle that mm -hmm. it takes to make these, <laughs> you know, make these small films. And, uh, and I, I, you know, I really, I really enjoy them. And, and I think that sometimes talking about even a bad film can, uh, can give you a whole new respect. I, there's many times where I was like, what am I going to even say about this film? And then I talk about it with my friends and I'm like, oh, there's actually a lot to say. <laughs> That's a lot to I, unpack. Um... <laughs> yeah. Yes. I have a period drama podcast with a friend of mine and we sort of look at period dramas because both of us trained in university in history, uh, but now are working in the film industry in some capacity. And she loves to like dig up these terrible period dramas to torture me with. <laughs> but it cracks me up that our most popular episode to this day is still our episode on the Great Wall, which is a terrible movie with Matt Damon. Um and it's, it's one of those movies that we we were just like, I don't even, I can't even find something good to say here. Um, <laughs> but sometimes like those are the more fun discussions where you're like, let's figure out like, where did this go wrong? Yeah. Like, where did exactly. this like that's the decent concept <laughs> fall apart? Mm -hmm. um, and I think sometimes like that's what people like to hear. And, but it does, I will say every time I watch like a truly bad movie, the next movie I watch, even if it's something I would otherwise have maybe considered like just okay, I'm like, wow, this is great. Like, this is fantastic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. Sometimes with Hallmarkies podcast, I worry that the that we have the whole monkey cage mentality where <laughs> you're, you know, you're in the you're in the monkey cage and it smells terrible, but you've been yeah. in the monkey cage a long time. And so <laughs> it's not smells terrible anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Worry about that I wonder bit. if that I wonder if that happens when people are listening to 
our podcast because I imagine a lot of people dip in and out they probably mm-hmm. won't watch them all and uh I imagine if maybe you've taken a few weeks out and then come back the slow descent into madness seems a lot quicker yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah I was gonna ask you Nicole about your podcast because I also love period pieces mm-hmm. and as uh, so I guess there's another thing we have in common but yeah. pe- petticoats and poppies is the name mm-hmm. correct and yes uh yeah so how did that all get started So Maggie is a friend of mine that I've known since we were teenagers, and we've always had a lot of similar interests. We sort of first bonded over being into theater and period drama, and we both have a background in history, so we've we've bonded over that, but we've known each other like through high school and college, and now we're both working in the film industry, me as a critic, and her as um, a background actor. She has done a lot of background work. She was in Wonder Woman 1984. Mm. Uh, And then now she's also working as an entertainment journalist. And it's very funny because we actually had the idea like last February that we were like, should we like start a podcast? She does a lot of podcasting about Star Wars stuff. And one of her podcast producers told her like, if you would like to do another podcast, like we'd be happy to have it on our network. And so she immediately was like, okay, I have to talk to my friend, Nicole. And we actually launched it in March of 2020, um, (laughs) which is funny because it's basically like been our quarantine baby. (laughs) Right. Uh, But we, and gosh, it was the weirdest thing whenever we realized like, oh, we've been doing this for over a year because like time doesn't feel real in quarantine. So, Mm, Uh, but yeah, it, it was the obvious thing to do like for the two of us to have a podcast together was to talk about period drama um, because we're both those people who, you know, will watch a new movie and we'll be texting each other like, oh my God, can you believe that they did this wrong? Or like, can you, you know, can you believe that they said that this person did this? And so we wanted to sort of have a podcast to talk about period drama from and give sort of more historical context to movies because obviously like historical accuracy is not the only important thing in a film. Uh, I will say there are, there's there's a line I think and Maggie and I are very much in agreement on it which is which is helpful for the podcast in terms of like perfect historical accuracy is not necessary in a movie mm-hmm. but there is a line where like okay if you were going to change that much why are you putting actual historical names on it mm-hmm. uh, that's me referring directly to our greatest showman episode Uh, (laughs) but we like to you know kind of look at if it's about a real person let's actually delve into their life if it's about a topic let's actually explore that sort of in more depth um and it's been the greatest experience like a just to get to do a podcast with one of my best friends is really exciting but also like we've dug up some weird movies that like neither of us had watched before we've watched some of our favorite movies and they're film ones that like uh was a favorite of hers that I'd never seen or vice versa and we're really excited. We've got some really cool stuff coming up. Um, I will I will give a little preview that in July, we're doing a special blockbuster month, which is gonna be a little bit something different. We're gonna look at Night at the Museum and National Treasure and talk about some of the history that is sort of seen Amazing. in those movies and like mm-hmm. how how viable National Treasure actually is as a, as a <laughs> yeah. film that, you know, tries to rewrite history. Um, but it's it's really been the coolest experience. And it's also nice to sort of have, you know, a lot of the other podcasts in honor are a bit more structured and stuff to sort of have something that's a little bit more just like sitting down to chat with a friend about a movie. Yeah. Yeah, I love, uh, I love doing that too. And we, my friends and I, we started a little podcast in, uh, in March as well, uh, <laughs> where we were covering The Nanny and we're almost finished. <laughs> we only have two uh two episodes of our show we have uh the finale and then three episodes of season six left and then we'll be done which i can't even believe it that we finished it but uh but we've we've had so much fun it's just uh so great to collaborate with your friends on something like that and get to know them better and just have a fun time and you hope that other people enjoy it but I do it even if nobody listens. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. That's what we always say. We're always like, oh, right. People listen to these. <laughs> yeah. like, we're kind of just having fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think you all should do Far From the Maddening Crowd on your... I watched that for the first time. This so underrated, year. I think. Oh my gosh. I don't know how I would not seen it before. That's, I think we may have actually put it on the list already. And I think we were saying that like, maybe I should read the book because we like if, if we're, if we're doing an episode on a, a film that's based on a book mm-hmm. for one of us to have some familiarity with it. Um, but yeah, I had not seen that before this past year. And I'm, 
I don't know why I've taken on this project this year. I've decided I'm going to watch every Carrie Mulligan film and rank her performances just as like nice a side project. But so I watched mm-hmm. that one for the first time and I fell in love with it. I, yeah. I had rented it on Amazon and I was like, mom, mom, you have to watch it before the Amazon rental runs out. It's so <laughs> underrated. I think she's so great in it. I think they have yeah. such incredible chemistry. It looks beautiful. I actually, this is a very rare circumstance. I prefer it over the book. I, I maybe it's part yeah. of things that I saw it first and then I read the mm-hmm. book. Um, but the book, I don't know. It wasn't as, yeah. <laughs> it wasn't as good. Like it wasn't as swoon worthy. I don't know. I was expecting yeah. it to I, be. As someone who's a big reader, people always expect me to like always prefer the book. And I'm like, no, sometimes the movie does improve on something. Like, yeah. so uh, with W rated with Daisy, how do you pick which of the bad movies that you're going to talk about? Well, so we have based our list on IMDb's bottom 100. Um, and the the way the podcast actually came about is because I wanted to watch those because, you know, you've got all of these best of lists. You've got, you've got the top 250 and it's all very official. And then they have the bottom 100 as an official list. You don't have to dig very far. And I'm like, that's, that's taunting me. It's there for a reason. It's like a challenge. I want to do it. And um, the co-creator Claire said, please tell me that you're, you're like recording your thoughts or something somewhere. And that's where the idea for the podcast came. So we want, we're not working our way through from bottom to top, because I think it would be quite difficult in terms of, as you can imagine, not all of them are available or they're very difficult to get hold of, but also, you know, we kind of want it, want it to be a little bit easier on ourselves going in and kind of do some stuff that maybe we were a bit familiar with or, and also like a big thing for us is that we want to get as many voices on the podcast as well um, and really get to know our community better and just kind of give them a chance to defend or completely smack down any film that they, <laughs> that they want to. Um, so we kind of based it around um, what people wanted to talk about as well. Um, so there have been quite a few where there's one specific guest um, that's come on and, and spoken to us. But as you can imagine, there's some there's some films on there like Batman and Robin and The Room, which has so many people excited to talk about. So we're going to have to think about how we're going to structure those ones because we want to make sure that everyone gets their say. But uh, it's going to be a very different format to what we're used to. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure those ones will be epic. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, the one that I think would be interesting is uh, is Lucky Numbers. It's the Nora Ephron film and it has an F cinema score. And it's, it's not great, but it's perfectly serviceable little rom-com. Mm. I don't know why. It's so hated. We had a chat about the cinema score thing on one of our episodes. We had um, we were talking about I Know Who Killed Me, the thriller starring Lindsay Lohan that mm. she did in, in 2007. And I think that has an F. And we were talking about like the selection of films that have an F. And we were a bit like, it's it's quite crazy to think about these specific, what well, like why these specific ones? And um, our guest Andrew sort of explained that the people who give the, the scores are people who have gone and chosen to see that film. So actually, is there a perspective of disappointment that's really dragged that score down compared mm-hmm. to people who perhaps have just gone and critique, like as a film critic, gone, these are audiences that have wanted to see this film and then maybe it's not what they expected. And then it's gone shooting all the way down, which is something we think probably happened to Mother, which is yeah. one that's got an F. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, very interesting. So uh, one of the questions I always like to ask uh, this panel is uh, that uh, do you think that a review is a review? It doesn't matter. Or do you think that there is value in in particularly having female film critics and female voices? Uh, what do you think, Nicole? I am such a big proponent of this idea that we need diverse voices in film criticism. And I think that one of the ways that you can see that is some of these films that are perfectly fine films that have really negative ratings. And it's because the wrong people were reviewing them. You know, not all films are made, thank goodness, for a white male audience. But often that is, you know, still the majority of who film critics are. And I think it's a good thing that not all films are made for the same audience. You know, there are movies that I know are not made for someone with my case, and that is totally fine, but I'm never going to appreciate them the same way that someone, uh, you know, that is that does have the taste that they're made for will appreciate them. Like, I'm never probably gonna like an Adam Sandler movie, and that's fine. 
but yes, I think I it's agree. so yeah. <laughs> but I think <laughs> it's so important to have women reviewing films, especially as we have more and more women making films, because I think that there are things that a male reviewer is often not going to notice in a movie. Like I think a lot about a movie like Birds of Prey, which you know whether mm-hmm. you like it or not, there are moments in that film that are things that I think are very hard for a, uh, a man to grasp, like the moment, like the hair tie moment. You know, it's what everyone talks about, but. It's yeah. such a real thing that I was like, this is a movie made by women. Um, they they get the female experience. And I think that it's important to have female reviewers who can recognize that, especially whenever you think about the fact that, you know, over half of the movie going audience is female. So obviously we need women reviewing and critiquing films as well. And I think that there's so much that, uh, women reviewers can bring to the table and it's the same too for you you know reviewers who are people of color um i think it's important that we have uh diversity and sexuality and gender and race and disability and things like that because there are things that people are going to notice that your average film critic might not especially you know when when it comes to talking about movies that are problematic or whatever i think that there are things that people who are of the group being targeted are going to be a lot more likely to pick up on than someone who doesn't identify with that. So I'm such a big proponent that like we need more women film reviewers, we need more people of color reviewing movies, you know, sort of more diversity across the board because people of all sorts watch movies. So it shouldn't be just one type of person sort of passing judgment on them. Yeah, I uh, felt that way, particularly with uh, Bridgerton. I, I yeah. that I felt like I, I tweeted out that I felt like the idea of men reviewing this is just ridiculous. <laughs> I'm like, of course they can. I'm not saying they can't, but it was so carefully made for women. It was so obvious to me that this, the even the way that the camera was shot and the way that yep. the sensuality was done was very. Uh, in a way that I, I I think I've very rarely seen to to satisfy women and for yeah. women. I mean, it was just so obvious to me. Uh, the, and uh, and uh, I, you know, a couple of people were like very, were kind of, how dare you say we can't? I said, you of course can. I'm just saying that this was made for women. Women should be reviewing it. Yep. I remember I was like, I only want to read like other female critics thoughts. Yeah, that's <laughs> like, I'm not too. really interested in what men have to say about it. Like, yeah. well, I take that back. <laughs> I did read a couple of um, gay men's pieces on it. Yeah. I think that's mm-hmm. with the fact that there is, you know, characters in it who are queer coded. I think that's an interesting perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, like I was like, I just don't care what a straight yeah. man thinks of like it's not for you (laughs) right exactly I agree uh what do you think about that Daisy I just yeah echoing all of both of your thoughts it's precisely it's so important because as you say you know if you think about the majority of of critics and what they look like that's not the film going audience it's not it's not representative um which is one thing and then as you've already said Nicole as well it's the fact that, you know, not everyone's going to have the same experience watching a film. And that's good because we're all so different and we all bring our own stories as we're watching something that might reflect our own or be completely different from and provide another worldview. And that's important. So why isn't it just as important for people who want to read reviews about those films for that also to be diverse? Um, and I completely agree. It's so important to have the diversity in front of the camera, behind the camera, and then when it's being watched. And, you know, those people are out there and they want to be doing it. It's it's the barrier of letting people into that into that world, which is still a massive issue, um, which is such a shame. Um, but, you know, with the way that the internet works now, it we're getting there. People are really, like, breaking through, through that wall, which I'm really pleased to see. Um, but as you say, I, I am interested to see um, perspectives from example as you said straight white men reviewing something that maybe isn't for them but for that not to take away the space from someone who it is actually for because I'm just thinking in my head you know if you wanted to if you were thinking about buying a piece of clothing a piece of you know gendered women women's clothing you wouldn't have them you wouldn't care what a man thinks about it so it's like kind of the same thing right yeah. Uh, <laughs> but yeah I completely echo everything everything both of you said 
Yeah, I, I think that that's a good comparison. I, I think it's true that even just beyond our, obviously our, our gender and our other things, just our life experiences make our reviews different. And uh, mm-hmm. so that's valuable. Like I famously, I guess, really did not like uh, Martin Scorsese's silence. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think part of the reason is because I, I actually you know, worked and served as a missionary uh, for two years. And uh, that experience made me look at the film differently than I think other people. And I, I just felt like to me, it was so gratuitous in the way that it showed just torture after torture after torture. And as a missionary, like if you were watching that, like you would just be just completely devastated, you know? And, and because you serve because you love the people. And I just never got any sense that he loved the people at all. And, and, and so I'm like, why am I watching all of this torture? What does it mean? It doesn't mean anything to the character. We hadn't gotten to know them at all. We hadn't gotten to know who they were. And so it was just, I, I, just, I just was so mad watching it. I'm just like, this is so horrible. Like the Adam Driver character, like felt like, I felt like he loved the people more but we got to see so little of him. And I just hated the Andrew Garfield character so much. I thought he was so selfish and so awful. And uh, and I felt like we weren't supposed to hate him. I don't know, I just hated him. <laughs> That's so interesting though, because if you're coming from it from an outsider's perspective who doesn't know anything about that world and you watch that film, then mm-hmm. that's, that's what your experience of that world is, mm-hmm. but it's fiction. Yeah. it's so important to then get the perspectives of someone who can say well actually you know here's yeah, my I experience mean, of it in the real because that's how we learn about stuff we do learn about stuff through fiction but it's dangerous if the people behind the camera don't necessarily have that experience and then we go oh that's what that is without those people who have experienced it having those voices to review it we will never know we'll have a misguided view of things I think yeah and I was expecting it to be like the mission I don't know if you've ever seen that movie but I love that movie and they have such an incredible love for the people with a um, Jeremy Irons and and, uh, Robert De Niro and it's just so devastating everything that happens but you feel it because you've gotten to know the people and you feel their uh, who they are there's humanity to it that I just I felt like silence just left me so cold uh, but uh, yeah that was definitely an unpopular opinion that I that I had I mean amongst like cinephiles I mean I don't think yeah. that many people really cared about that movie but but uh, another unpopular opinion that I had very early on this when I first started blogging was I was not a fan of the Fultoner stars which was very popular. Uh, I just, I felt like it was so manipulative that it made me mad. <laughs> and especially yeah. the William Defoe character, he was just so awful that I, I just felt like, who is this person? Like, are you kidding me? That you're gonna have basically like a make a wish person come and you're gonna tell them they should just die. Like what? That doesn't, like nobody would do that. Your career would be over. And uh, like, nobody's that mean, come on. And, and then when they tried to redeem the character, I was just like, no, you can't. No, like you can't kill puppies. You can't, (laughs) you can't yell at cancer. teens like that's just it's an unspoken rule <laughs> yeah like come on, yeah. there's lines yep. and I just really made, didn't like it and uh, so my uh, uh so that was definitely an unpopular opinion that I had there yeah oh that movie is and I think what's interesting about that movie too is that that book I actually quite liked the book The Vault in Our Stars and I think that it captured something very interesting and it just did not come across on screen um, which is one of those times too that like it is I mean I'm obviously every movie that I review that's based on a book I haven't read the book but I also think like even to the point of whenever someone has read the book that a film is is based on it makes their review more interesting and in that they can say like oh well this is just how the story was written 
or they can say like, no, no, this was a choice that the people mm. making the movie made <laughs> that made this not work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think that that does help. I try when possible, especially for the, for the rom-coms, I try to, if there's yeah. a book associated, I especially try to read because I think it does help you try to understand. I've also, I, for a while I was reading the comic books when I would go before mm-hmm. I would go see a comic book movie. And that actually really helped a lot. I mean, it just made it like a richer, more interesting experience. I think that's why I like Dr. Strange more than most because I had read a bunch of the comics before and I really, those are probably my favorite comics I've ever read. Um, and uh, they were uh, really, really interesting. So I think that's, that's true. Uh, Daisy, what about you? What's an unpopular opinion that you had on a film? Um, it's interesting, actually. It's probably one of the latest episodes that we've done on W Rated, but um, me and Claire were discussing it earlier, and we're not quite sure whether technically it's unpopular or not, probably with critics, but not with audiences. It's um, the film out from last year, the, the dubbed the Polish Fifty Shades of Grey, 365 Days. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you guys have seen it, um, it is definitely not a good film, but when we were recording the podcast, me and Claire openly admitted and was like, we had fun, guys. We had fun with it. We knew what it was trying to do. It looked like a what, like a beautiful perfume ad music video. You know, we were able to appreciate the kind of like little things that that were there and kind of just escaped from it. Now it's got seven, it's got a 0% on Rotten Tomatoes. So it does seem like perhaps we are not <laughs> in line with the critics. Um, <laughs> however, she Claire made a good point when I was talking to her about it earlier that, you know, it was number one on Netflix for a hell of a long time. So maybe my unpopular opinion isn't unpopular with, with the general moviegoer <laughs> because it got a lot of attention. Obviously, that's quite an interesting one um, with in terms of film criticism, because as much as we said we had fun with it, there's a lot of problematic stuff that, you know, we discussed as well. So it was a it was a very interesting one to dissect, because on one hand, we were like, yeah, I know it is what it is. We had fun. And the other hand, we were like, this is serious. Like, it shouldn't have been made. <laughs> so well, that's what makes <laughs> Rotten Tomatoes difficult is sometimes trying to figure out the fresh versus rotten, you know, something that, mm. you know, is like not the best, but like you still have fun. And mm. I don't know, like trying to decide kind of, As or something that like, you know, multifaceted, isn't it? It's not just what you don't just get one outcome of a film. Like, yeah, you can it's hard sometimes. Like, or they'll have yeah. movies where I'm just not that into the genre, you know, like, or mm. I'm just not that it's and so it's like but I can't really fault the movie for that but so how like trying to decide can be very difficult every time I've given mm -hmm. a movie like a five out of ten and I go to log it on Rotten Tomatoes and I'm like do I think this is a rotten movie like do I think it's and sometimes you know it's like I I try to like otherwise I'm like okay if it's a four below it's rotten like let's just accept me too but Mm. the fives I always just sit there in agony like oh like I don't I don't know. Like, clearly, that's why I gave it a five out of ten. It's interesting, isn't it? Because it makes you then reevaluate your own scoring system because of what someone, another site puts the value of what you're saying. So it kind of, it is very interesting. It goes through all of these filters before it gets to the general public. And like, what you're saying with your five out of ten is not necessarily what someone's reading on the site. And I wish people could understand that the really there's not that much of a difference between my four out of tens and my six out of tens. It just like, do I, is it lean positive or lean negative? Like they're both flawed, but you know, you have to make the call and that's hard. And uh, I was, I I felt that I think most recently with Mortal Kombat for me, at least that I felt like it was, it hadn't had a lot of fun like I enjoyed the action, but like the writing was so bad and the, um, the characters were really annoying. And I was like, <laughs> no, like it's tough. I did go, na- I ended up, I did go rotten on that one, but I didn't hate it. And so, you know, it's tough sometimes. So why reviews are important, right? You can't, you know, if you just have a rating, there's no nuance in understanding yeah 
exactly why, you know, I've, I've tried to rate um, our films that we do on the episode before and gone, do you know what? I need to bump up or I need to move it down because in comparison, you know, last week I gave that film two and a half, but this is definitely not a two and a half out of five stars. Like yeah. it's weird how you end up like moving it. But hopefully because we've done reviewing the episode, you can tell why they might be the same rating without being the same feeling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, what about you, Nicole? What's an unpopular opinion that you've had? Oh God, I feel like this is one that I still in certain circles, like don't really talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, but I hated the favorite. Oh, um, I still yeah. hate the favorite, which it's interesting because that obviously goes very against what other film critics feel about it. And yet whenever I talk to other women that I know who work in the history sector in some way or the museum sector, they all agree with me exactly, right. uh, which is an, an interesting like conundrum. It's like, okay, me as mm-hmm. a film critic versus me as a historian. And in particular, I am a women's historian. So um, I think in some ways I was always destined to hate the favorite, but I, and, it, and it's funny because it came out the same year as Mary Queen of Scots, which is one of my favorite movies and also a movie that takes like some considerable historic liberty, but does it um, never to the detriment of its female characters. Whereas I feel that as someone who knows quite a bit about Queen Anne, uh, the favorite really does not portray her in a favorable light um, and really downplays some of her achievements and accomplishments, which I have very strong feelings about movies about little known historical topics or figures. Uh, If they sort of talk down to the people that they're about, I really hate them in general, particularly if that person is a woman or a person of color or a person Mm -hmm. of the LGBTQ community. Um, Because I just think that it's a shame, like you were talking about earlier, whenever a film is made on a subject, if it's something that not a lot of people know about often, people do take that as fact and they take that and that's the only thing that they're ever maybe going to know about that topic. Uh, you know, most people will probably never know anything more about Queen Anne than they saw in the movie The Favourite, which is a shame because she has a really fascinating story and she was arguably one of England's like best monarchs. Um, and so I just, I have a lot mm. of reasons that I don't like the way that they portrayed her. I don't like the way that they portrayed Sarah Churchill. And I think that the real story behind it is so much more interesting than what you see on screen. And I think that's just a real, a real shame. Um, so, and that is like, whenever I really hate a movie, it typically is because I feel that like some moral wrong has been done. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, and, and that's the thing is that people don't realize that you can, you can hate a well-made movie. Like you can have yep. them in your worst of list. Like there's uh, like, I really didn't like Tenet last year. I was not a fan of that movie. And uh, I had it in my worst of list. And I don't apologize for that. I did not enjoy it at all. <laughs> and uh, I was curious, though, do you, in general, not like Yorgos' movies? or I, you know, he's not, like, one of my favorite filmmakers by any means. Like, that style is not necessarily my thing. But, you know, I I can appreciate that, like, stylistically, there's a lot to like in that movie. I think the performances are really good for the most part. I think uh, it's very aesthetically interesting. Um, I love the costume design in it and the production design. But it's mostly the script that I take issue with. But that, for me, is enough to... (laughs) Yeah, oh, yeah. The, The thing about his movies is I feel like they would all be better as shorts. Like they all overstay their welcome. Right. I, I, the lot with the lobster, like that would have been really cool, like Twilight Zone type episode of like mm-hmm. a 30 minute kind of thing. Right. But like by the time it got to like the end of the sort of the second act, I was just so yeah. done with that movie. I was just like, <laughs> oh, and that's one of my other things about the favorite too is I saw it twice in theaters because I was trying to be like, okay, yeah. anyone else likes this? Like maybe yeah. I was too harsh on it. And then I was like, oh no, I was. I still feel the same way, but maybe worse. Um, but my, it's also I put myself through again. <laughs> right, where I like, I remember distinctly like checking my phone part of the way through and be like, I we must be like almost to the end, right? And it was like, oh my god, we're only an hour into this. Like, yeah. please oh, let god. it in. Like that movie feels so much longer than its actual runtime. <laughs> Like me watching The Crimes of Grindelwald, I Wanted to Die. That movie was so terrible. One of the worst blockbusters I've ever seen in oh my God. life. It was it so was a bit bad. Of a mess, oh. <laughs> I've still never sat through it. <laughs> oh, I don't, don't worry. Don't do it. Don't worry. No, it was so bad. <laughs> yeah. 
I know. And and sometimes it, you do watch those movies and you just think like, I didn't like Birdman. That was a famous, very well-praised movie that mm. I did not like at all. Same. yeah I was a bit more indifferent to it I just didn't quite it's not like I disliked it I just didn't quite get what everyone else was seeing I guess Mm. and I think that's one of those things too where like as a theater reviewer um and Mm. as someone who like had been a theater reviewer in New York City I was like this just isn't it's not realistic guys like well the the, and the critic (laughs) is just the most cringeworthy character that and and I all of the female characters in Birdman are all shrill terrible horrible and I get it's from his perspective so maybe that's why but like it just I just just not care for it I felt like it was way style over substance Mm -hmm. in my opinion like yeah it looked cool but I mean give give them the cinematography award that's fine yeah but the fact that Beat Boy had made me really Like really, it would have been that year was such a strong year at the Oscars. Like, it oh, yeah, it would it have was. been I, I, almost every single of the other nominees I would have preferred over Birdman. Uh, I I liked um uh I mean Whiplash that certainly was more deserving. Yeah. Uh, I don't know there was yeah, Grand Budapest Hotel. There were so many good ones that year, and I'm just like, what? It always happens with the Oscars though, doesn't it? You know, it's always like all the nominees, and you're like, one of these things is not like the others. Yeah. And therefore, that's the one that's gonna win. That's right. No. I yeah, yeah, I think I think that's literally true. That especially with the um tiers system that they have now, that the one that's the most vanilla is going to probably win. That's why Mm. it was so amazing when Parasite won. We were oh just like the best movie actually won. It was wild. Yeah. That never happened. It was like the one good thing of 2020. <laughs> yeah, literally. <laughs> uh, so what we also like to do is talk about a review that we're proud of or a, an episode of podcast or just something like that, something you've made that you think was really well done. And uh, what about you, Nicole? What do you think about? Yeah, so I, I spent some time trying to like think about what this would be for me because obviously I've done a handful of pieces that I was proud of um my most recent thing that I was proud of is just my promising young woman review partially because I was so stressed over writing it because my editor Matt Neglia had seen it at Sundance and had been hyping this movie up for like a full year by the time I saw it almost and then he was like okay actually I want you to write the review and I was like Matt this is a lot of pressure to put on me um but I was actually really happy with how it turned out but as far as like the thing that I'm happiest with that I've written, I reviewed Little Women for uh, In Their Own League. And I also wrote a post about it uh, for my own blog, which I wrote immediately whenever I got home from my screening of it. And I kind of just like threw out like a thousand words um, onto my computer and was like, all right, well here, have that world. Um, And then I, I actually read it back the other day and I was like, oh, this is actually quite good. Mm. Like it's the most open and raw and honest thing I've ever written. Uh, And it also like has such a special place in my heart now too, because my sister's eight years younger than I am. And she is in every way, like the Amy to my Joe. And she actually asked me if she could write a piece for my blog um, about the movie and about being someone who has loved Amy March since they were a child and other people finally realizing that Amy March is a cool character. Uh, so we have these like cute companion pieces now Um, but it was it was a really fun experience trying to sort of take this piece that I had written that was all about like my emotional attachment to Little Women because it's been my favorite book since I was like seven years old uh, and trying to formulate it into a review that's sort of encapsulating it's like one of my longest reviews I've ever written because I was like no I need to talk about every cast member I need to talk about like every uh, design choice <laughs> and everything but I was really happy with the way that it turned out and it's also just really nice now to be able to look that I have this very personal piece written about it and then more of like a proper film review that I can look at so uh, it's also one of those things that I was not sure I was going to be able to articulate in any way my feelings on a movie that feels so incredibly personal to me uh, so I, I was just like it always makes me feel better to read it back and be like oh right I did actually make real words about this yeah, those are always the most special reviews, the when you can 
when something that you really feel passionate about. And also when you get to introduce people to something that they might otherwise have missed. Like I definitely yeah. felt that way in 2019 with Wild Rose, mm -hmm. uh, that that was a movie I just loved and it really spoke to me and her experience. And, and uh, I think it's one that could be easily missed. I would have missed it if I hadn't, I, back in the good old days when I, I would, I would go to the, uh, the Indie Art House Theater in Salt Lake and I would watch just movies the whole day, the whole day. Yeah. And, uh, and I, that day I just had a, a, a gap of time and I was like, okay, well, I'll see Wild Rose. I knew nothing about it, mm -hmm. which is the best experience. And uh, mm -hmm. I, I just, it blew me away and I just loved it. It was, it was so good. And uh, it, when you can express that, that's just the best. <laughs> that's Definitely. Just, it's the highlight of the job. But uh, Daisy, what about you? What's something that you, uh, I've created that you're really proud of. Um, so this is sort of taking me back to when I did written reviews. Um, there's two I wanted to, to briefly bring up. One of them was my review for John Wick 2, um, which was one of my just, I don't know, you know, you just have those random experiences in the cinema where you just completely lose yourself in a film. It doesn't matter what it is. You just remember just being so enveloped in it. And I wrote the review on the way home. I literally, and I, I tend to, like get my notes down I don't like writing notes when I'm in the cinema because it ends up just being like diagonal across the page because I, <laughs> I can't do the whole writing in the dark thing yeah. um so I tend I used to tend to just write my notes um on the way home and then sort of get get working the next day but I was just so like enthused and like just full of energy afterwards that I basically just wrote it and of course I went through a few a few amendments and a few drafts but ultimately the passion that I got straight away from that was what stayed in that review and I was really happy with how tight I managed to to keep it whilst getting all of my opinions across um, and that just really every time I read it now it just really encapsulates like how I felt in the cinema which was it's just a lovely thing to be able to to do when you know you get further and further away from from that experience as a memory. Um, but I also wanted to bring up that I did uh, a bit of a longer review. I specifically requested that it be longer um, for the for Marvel's Iron Fist, one of their Netflix reviews, uh, Netflix shows for season one. And it was an interesting one because I was really excited for it because I am one of these people that loves everything. I'm like, give, give me all the Marvel stuff. I will eat it up. But uh, I really hated it. And it was one of those things where it was like a really tough, not decision it was a tough thing to be to admit that I'm a big fan of what everything they've done so far and now I've kind of got to drag them through the mud a little bit <laughs> um so I wanted to bring that one up as well because I'm actually just proud of how you know I kept my little I kept my hat on I didn't you know let you know I didn't sort of waver and I was like no I'm gonna be completely honest here because you know this is what it's about, you know, you know, the MCU is such a big thing that lots of people love, but they do, they do make missteps, you know, they're not, it's not perfect. And, you know, the more that they churn stuff out, the more I'm a bit like, yeah, maybe I'm over it now. But <laughs> at the time it was in the peak of, you know, them bringing all this stuff out. So I'm also very proud of doing a review of something that perhaps I could have just kind of maybe not gone in as hard on but actually I was like no I'm gonna keep my integrity and and be honest about it so I was pleased that I did that yeah whenever you have a, a criticism of any of the superhero movies it's always mm -hmm. rough that's the scary I mean, clicking I, send I feel, <laughs> yeah I feel like why do we even review them at a certain point because it's just so stressful uh yeah. <laughs> Because I mean, I famously didn't like Shazam when everybody else loved it. I mm -hmm. I, I also didn't like Spider Man Far From Home. I thought that was terrible. Um, and, uh, it's tough. I mean, you get so much hate uh, if you I don't know. And if you just it's like I just like ducking covered and like Please. yeah. Just send and run away. Publish and just yeah. like hide under the bed. I was yeah. worried about. I was worried about reviewing Wonder Woman 1984 
because I was right. like, oh God, am I going to get like, you know, what is the yeah. response to this going to be? And then I ended up liking it a little bit more than other people. Like I didn't, you know, I, oh, I, I, yeah. I gave it like a five out of 10, but it ended up being better than most people. So I think I like escaped all of it because people yeah. were like, well, she hates it less than everyone else. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was, I give it a 5.5 out of 10, like barely fresh, just barely. Yep. yep. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, it was definitely disappointing. <laughs> it was not as good as I hoped it would it be. It was like, see this film without Pedro Pascal I give it a this but like I'm gonna give it this for him you know <laughs> like, <laughs> like it was definitely made I felt the heart of it I felt like mm-hmm. they were I could see what they were trying to do but yep. it didn't really work but yep. but yeah and uh one that I it's, it's funny because when you when you put out these reviews most of the time you put them out before the public has seen the the, yeah. the films and every once in a while, there'll be something that I respond to so much differently, it seems like, than everybody else. And I'm just like, oh, okay. You know, and it does make you sort of second guess yourself. Did I really like it that much? Or did I right? not like it that much? Yep. Everybody else loves it. Uh, for for me, one example was Mary Poppins Returns. Uh, so mm-hmm. I went and saw that and I just thought it was beautiful. And I am not a fan of, in general, these Disney uh, live action remakes slash sequels slash whatever. Uh, I just tend to not enjoy those films. But this for me, it just captured the heart of uh, the nostalgia of of Disney. And I felt like I was sitting on in Main Street Disneyland. Uh, you know, like it had that, that feel yep. for me. And I just, uh, I really loved my review of that film. I thought that it was really well written. And, uh, and I just talked about how I was swept away in an experience of pure joy. And, and I just, I loved a, a little light fantastic and, and uh, just the songs and the, the style of it. And I thought Emily Blunt was perfectly cast. And so it was something that really worked for me. Um, and then there was, I just felt like everybody else was so mad on it. <laughs> I was like, oh. I loved that movie and it's one of those that I- you know, I kind of do wonder a lot of the critics I felt like were older white men. And I, again, it was one of those things where I'm like, do I care what you think? And that like sounds mean, but I'm like, what what these critics think about this and what I'm going to think about this movie have very little in common. <laughs> it does seem um, like the broad, my Broadway friends, super into show tunes, super into, enjoyed the movie more than most people. So maybe that's yep. part of it, but yeah. I, I just, it made me sad because I just feel like if, if it had been the one to be, be have huge results, like we would get so much more interesting pieces from Disney than yep. we, you know, than we've been getting because uh, it, they really tried hard to, they write, wrote all new music, they had, and so, you know, it's just like, oh, like yeah. I would love to get more, more like that and less like Lion King. Uh, where it was just yeah. to me it was just so bland I uh, could but, talk for days about you know more Cinderella yes. Jungle Book Mary Poppins Returns less Lion King that sort of you know I've if we have yeah. that movie I don't need to see it in like yeah. weird yeah. CGI <laughs> yeah yeah literally I, I said in my review, I said, it truly does optimize the mundane by taking the trials and, and pressures of life and reminding the audience to trip a little light fantastic and smile a little more through your struggles. It's one of the most joyful and effervescent experiences I've had at the cinemas in a long time. I'm getting emotional oh. just thinking about it. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. That's <laughs> so the highlight of the job is when you feel like you have you know, captured something special. And, and, and I, I think that it's hard to, it's hard to write about the films that I feel sort of lukewarm for. I'm like, I don't know what to say about this, but it, then it's also sometimes challenging to write about the things that you feel really passionate about. Yeah. I, I feel like the only easy reviews to write are when I'm in like the seven, eight area. Um, Cause I, mm-hmm. I also, I hate writing the super bad reviews. Like, I know. I, I wrote a review earlier this year um, for the movie Cherry, oh. which I oh. thought was just horrendous. <laughs> and I like blasted it, but I felt so bad writing. I literally cried while writing it because I was like, oh. like, so obviously it's that thing of, you know, that like so many people worked hard on this movie and it turned out so mm. terribly that you like feel 
bad for them but mm. you can't like not tell the truth like yeah, exactly yeah. yeah but I think that that actually gives a humanity to the bad reviews that's important you know that you recognize yeah. that there are you know people that have put their heart and soul into it and I I definitely feel that way after I've done so many interviews uh, particularly for homework's podcast that you know these these movies that most people wouldn't care about or or like and they, you get you you get to see behind the scenes and how much work goes into what you think is just like a fluffy hallmark movie and uh, and it definitely makes you like you still have to be honest like you're saying uh, but there's there can be humanity to a bad review mm. yeah that's definitely something that we've always said about our podcast is that we're really careful not to basically kick a dog when it's down. Like these are notoriously like well hated or just completely ripped to shreds films. We're not here Mm -hmm. to just like double down on that. We actually want to experience them for ourselves and, and genuinely critique them based on what we think. Um, Mm -hmm. But as you say, it's always so important to remember that, you know, people are involved um, from the bottom to the, from the bottom to the top and I think if you have that lens when you're doing it then you know that you're doing it with that sort of empathy and integrity but when we were talking about that it suddenly made me think of The Room um, (laughs) which is notoriously a terrible film that everybody loves but I think everybody loves it more because of the the guys behind it and the fact Mm -hmm. that they've become you know people know who they are as people and celebrities and and like he wanted to make a good film he wanted to make a good film and I think people really respect that and because of that they love it wholeheartedly like completely unironically because they know that he had a passion behind it and then look you've got like a whole film based on the making of it now (laughs) like it's just crazy when you think about it really like yeah (laughs) I think that that makes the difference between something like The Room versus something like say Sharknado because (laughs) yeah because Sharknado is so calculated to be a bad movie. It's not, it's mm-hmm. not the same experience as somebody who really tried to make something good. And it makes it easier to, uh, to critique badly when it's that. If it's a big studio film where you know that they've, like when we did, we covered Date Movie and Vampires Suck, uh, you know, the Friedberg and Seltzer films. It was so much easier to slag those off because you know that they were just cash grabs. There's no heart or soul in them at all and they go out of their way to offend people. So I really didn't mind ripping into those as much. Yeah, yeah. Uh, One great made with heart, but spectacularly misguided movie that you ought to do on your show from holidays is uh, Pottersville. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. Have you seen it, Nicole? I've heard of it. I I feel like I've heard of it, but I haven't seen it yet. Oh my gosh, it's epic. It's on Netflix. Uh, It has this great cast with Michael Shannon, Judy Greer, and uh, (laughs) uh, it's about this man who who finds out that his wife is a furry, like, that sounds like a furry, and, and is... (laughs) <laughs> so and they're trying to find bigfoot in oh my god and there's all these it's a wonderful life reference it, it is madness that's not what i expected it to be about at all no. <laughs> that was a really fun review to write uh find me up I've yeah i gotta watch this it's christina Amazing. hendrix is in it for madman ron perlman it's nuts <laughs> okay yeah Um, yeah that was a really fun one and there's this whole subplot of this reality tv show that's comes to film about you know about the bigfoot sighting and (laughs) you gotta see it oh my god somebody who covers all of the uh, christmas movies this was really fun Yeah, last year I watched 115 Christmas movies. New. Oh my God. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But super fun. And uh, yeah, I I guess uh, it was meant to be that I cover Christmas movies and, or I mean, my specialties, Christmas movies, animation, and rom coms are kind of my jam. Mm -hmm. There's a nice overlap there. That probably helps. But yeah, I I think that 
it's good as a critic to remind yourself that it is a privilege to get to do what we get to do. And we're very, very, very fortunate. And uh, so I, I think uh, it, it has its, it has its struggle sometimes. It can be challenging. And I think it's harder than people probably realize. People think it's like this lush gig, but, <laughs> but it is also, it is a, a privilege, so. Well, this was so fun to get to talk with both of you. I really enjoyed it and I'm grateful for you coming on and hopefully we can collaborate uh, in the future because I really enjoyed yes. this conversation. And uh, Nicole, where can people find you and your content? Yeah, you can find me. The easiest place is probably to go to my Twitter, which is at Nicole Ackman 16. I'm also on Letterboxd, Instagram, all the places under that username. But I have a link tree in my Twitter bio, which has links to all the different places that I write for and uh, my period drama podcast as well. And what about you, Daisy? And um, so you can find me on Twitter at Daisy Vic Edwards. Um, and then the podcast is at W Rated Pod on Twitter as well. And we've got a link tree. So you, whatever whatever uh, platform you use to listen to the, the podcast, you, you should be able to find it on there. Great. And you can find me at Rachel's Reviews, all over social media, iTunes, YouTube, and on Rotten Tomatoes. So check that out. And also make sure you're following the Hallmarkies podcast. Lots of fun stuff going on over there. So please take a look at that. And we also have our patron group, which is really fun. And you get a chance to uh, participate in watch alongs uh, with stars like Paul Campbell and Mary Lou Hanner. So really fun. Check that out. And also have the merch store, which has tons of fun design. So check that out. And thanks so much, ladies. This was great. And uh, we will definitely have to get together uh, again soon. <laughs> so. Thank you so much. Yeah, Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.